Hello, and thanks for joining us today for the Education Doctor Radio Program. The Education Doctor Radio Show is your family source for educational excellence. Our program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. I'm Dr. Pamela Ellis, Principal Consultant at Compass, where our mantra is Access, Thrive, Graduate. You can learn more about our firm at www. CompassEducationStrategies.com. Thanks to all of my listeners who are joining today. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this program. If you're listening to a podcast of this program, I also want to thank you for joining in. For future show updates and ongoing relevant education news, please like my page on Facebook at The Education Doctor. You can get plenty of information there and get announcements about our weekly shows. You can also find me on Twitter at The Education Doc. We've got a great program lined up for you. Tonight's show is dedicated to all of my students who are preparing for the SAT. I want to give a special shout-out to my students at Oakwood High School in Ohio, All of you are rock stars, and I know you've been putting in a lot of hours uh, for the upcoming test. We're going to be discussing the SAT map, and that is with my guest for this show, Mr. Stephen Randall. Stephen is a Stanford mathematician, and he has been teaching SAT math for several years in the Houston area. So aside from his great credentials, he is a great guy, and he talks about this topic in such a practical way, which will be helpful for students who are preparing for the SAT. So before we get started, I want to make sure that our listeners have our number if they'd like to call in with a question. Our number is 714-333-3356. Now, if you've listened to the show before, you probably recall that this is the point in the show where I say my favorite line, which is that our switchboard is located in sunny Southern California. Well, that hasn't changed, but tonight I am broadcasting live from Concord, New Hampshire, which is another part of the country that I really love. I lived in New Hampshire when I studied at Dartmouth, and I must admit that I didn't get a chance to leave the campus very much when I lived here before. And I have been in New Hampshire now for the past week visiting all the wonderful college prep schools that are here, and it is a beautiful, beautiful state. So yay for Granite State. (laughs) Now, in addition to our call-in number, which is 714-333, 3356, you can also email us at radio at compasseducationstrategies.com. So that wasn't too long of an introduction, I hope. So, Stephen, are you still on the line with us? I am, Mr. Dr. Ellis. How are you? Oh, great. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Education Doctor Radio. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your expertise with all of our students and just give them a little something extra that may help them uh, with their SAT test taking. So thank you. Um, Before we get 
into talking about the SAT, I have to ask you this because a lot of my students are starting to think about college majors. And so mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask you, how did you end up majoring in math? Actually, I majored in economics, um, in quantitative really? economics, which is very, well, yeah, uh-huh. very mathematics-based. Um, yes. But math, to, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. Uh, I, I, I've been a math math geek since I was since I was very young, I guess you could say. So math uh-huh. has always been a passion of mine. And when I got to Stanford, it, um, I spent a lot of time in the mathematics department. And I ended up with I ended up majoring after being pre med for several years. I ended up ended up falling into the economics department with, where I studied uh, quantitative economics and mathematical modeling and graduated with a degree in quantitative econ. Um, oh, now wow. I teach mathematics full-time, so that's that old wow. math part of me. Yes, I'd say. <laughs> I remember <laughs> taking uh, the first-year calculus courses because I thought I was going to major in physics, and that was very short-lived. <laughs> uh, yeah, Stanford was fun. So, it was an interesting about- thing about I was just saying the interesting thing about the Stanford Mathematics Department, of course, was that um, like uh, several others of your top-notch schools, they assumed that you'd taken taken everything up to calculus before you'd gotten there. And so the only math Uh you can take for credit coming in is calculus. You can either take the the slow track of calculus or the fast track of calculus, but you're going to be taking calculus. There's no such thing as college algebra on Stanford's campus. So that was that was that was kind of shocking for some students, I know, but it was it was kind of home for me since being the math nerd that I was. Yeah, you know, and I think that um, that brings up a good point and bridges us into talking about the SAT because the SAT is supposed to reflect, you know, how well you'll do in college, and. Absolutely. For some schools, particularly for Stanford, if you start with calculus, but the SAT may end at another level, then you're really not bridging that gap. It's not giving you all the information you want to know. But right. Um, right. as you're in your own experience is in teaching high school math, you know, just what is the level of the math that's in the SAT? Well, the SAT math, um, surprisingly enough only goes through 10th grade math. Um, there's very little algebra, very, very little algebra, too, in, on the SAT. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it goes through algebra um, algebra 1 and geometry. Um, and most people don't realize that. I mean, they think it's going to push, push far. But it's done like that on purpose, I think, because the SAT is not, a, it's not like our, uh, and several states now have graduation tests um, that that the purpose of the the minimal skills graduation test is to find out if, what you know, if you know enough to to say you've mastered the course. Well, the SAT doesn't care about that. The SAT is not a test to figure out what you know. It's a test to separate you from everybody else. So, the the purpose of of a, an SAT uh, an achievement test versus versus a criterion reference test. That's one of the first things that I usually talk to kids about. Um, mm-hmm. When you take the SAT math section particularly, 
they don't care how much algebra you know. They don't care how much geometry you know. They assume that um, most of the kids taking the courses or taking the SAT have at least gotten through 10th grade math. Um, and and if that were the case, if it was just one of those tests that, to test what you know, then everybody would do well on it because everybody's taking algebra. You know, most of the kids who, who take the SAT have taken algebra, have taken geometry, and have at least a, a large majority have passed those two classes. But when they take the test, their scores don't come out as well because it's not necessarily an algebra test. And it's more of a thinking test than anything else. And that's what um, colleges look at to determine how well, you're going to do, how well you're going to do in the college curriculum because it, it models how well you can problem solve, how well you can put information together. And that's more of what the SAT is than anything else. Hmm. Okay. Now, I want to touch on a couple of things that you just said. One, you talked about the fact that it goes up to 10th grade. So then, you know, as far as the level of math that it's covering, so then does that imply that students should be taking it after 10th grade or early in their junior year? What are um, about that? The best time to actually start taking it um, to – to planning for entering college, I'm sure you've, you've said this before, is before your senior year, in your junior year, whether it's the the early early January, February of your junior year or in the spring, at the latest. But there are several students who now have, they almost, it's almost as if taking the SAT is a career. Um, you've, got, you've got several students that start taking it in eighth grade. Um, You've got several programs. You've got the Duke Talent Search that bases um, that bases their entrance on seventh and eighth grade SAT scores, and this is actual SAT and not PSAT. Um, right. So it's not it's not a matter of how many times you take it, because it doesn't the the skills and strategies that you use on the SAT don't come. It's not one of those tests that the more you practice it, the better you get. It's Really? Figuring out how to attack it, and the better you get at it that way. The thing that happens, the one of two things happen the second time you take the SAT. Um, if you've never taken any, if you you're, if you're going in cold, you don't know any of the test taking skills. You just go in with the with the knowledge. Your score will go up the second time, but it'll go up more from familiarity than anything else. Um, but to make a to make a serious dent or a serious growth in your score, you've got to learn how to attack the test itself. You've got, you've got to learn about the test, how it's structured, and how that structure will help you attack it and raise your score. Because you're not... What I tell kids when I'm working with them on the SAT is I don't care whether you know the algebra, I don't care whether you know the geometry. I'm not here to teach you algebra or geometry. I'm here to teach you how to get a better score on the SAT so that you can get into the college that you desire. And believe it or not, a lot of it doesn't have anything to do with the math. It has to do with approach. Oh, okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Well, I am going to take a quick break right there, um, and then we're going to come back and finish talking a little bit more about this because you've said some things that have kind of hit a button with me. So just hold on just a moment, and we'll be right back. 
So this is the Education Doctor Radio Show brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. I am back now with my guest, Stephen Randolph, and we are talking about the SAT math. So right before the break, you were talking about uh, the importance of knowing how to attack the SAT as opposed to practice. And I will frankly admit that I'm kind of big on practicing uh, because I do think that the practice gives you some of the familiarity that you need because you mentioned about Mm -hmm. students taking it a second time around, their score usually increases because of the familiarity. And so I want you to just, you know, share a little bit more with us about what it means to know how to attack and, you know, what approach and, and, and let me let me let me kind of kind of tweak what I said because I didn't I didn't mean practice 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 it's practicing the correct way um, the familiarity mm-hmm. will give you a bump but practicing how to address it how to approach it understanding the test and 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 approaching your practice in that manner will get you a bigger bump. So there is practice involved. It's not like you can just read up and think about it and then go in and take the test and boom, you know, I've got these great skills. Skill is a, a skill is just like any other skill. If you if the skill that you're trying to get better at is throwing a baseball, then you have to sit out and throw the baseball several times in order to get good at that skill. Um, and it's the same thing with, with approaching the SAT, with the particular skills and abilities that you need. To approach, the, to approach the math section of the SAT, there are things that you have to practice. You don't necessarily have to practice them by taking the SAT repeatedly, but by seeing SAT-style tests and questions, um, mm-hmm. that will help you. You know, the, I think the biggest shock that kids have or that students have, I say kids, that young people have when they take the SAT is how long it is. Um, it's a four-hour test with ten sections, and mm-hmm. you know, it's the just the math part. You're talking about three, maybe four sections. One of which may be um, may be a a thrown-in section, a, a, a test section. But you can do anywhere between seventy to ninety-five different math questions in in those four hours coupled with the other subjects that you're taking. So you're talking about 300-plus questions that you're doing in four hours. It is long. It is, it is an mm-hmm. arduous task. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Um, and so one of the things that the, just the familiarity does is that you, you the first time people tend to take a full-length SAT, about halfway through, they're burned out. And they've been running at, at, at full steam for the first two hours because the PSAT is only two hours long. And the proctor says, okay, now we're going to go to Section 6, and we're going to take a two-minute break and go to Section 7, 8, 9, and 10. And they're like, wait a minute, what do you mean? I've got so much more time, and their brain is just dead. And so it's learning how to to manage that that length, learning how to manage that race. That is probably one of the most important things. And, you know, understanding that the SAT itself, is a marathon and not a sprint, and you have to pace yourself through it. Hmm. Wow. And so what are some tips, you know, some practical things that students can do in the way of 
at least um, maybe I don't. I'm kind of scared to use the word practice, but just kind of getting started. Uh, if, That's, for example, yeah. now uh-huh. it's, I think it's the middle I think of February. Uh huh. Go ahead. Well, the first thing is to understand that you know, in understanding the structure of the test, um, you've got every section in the math, every math section is kind of split into three subsections. Um, you have, if you have 20 questions in a, in a, in a section, the first eight to nine questions are considered your, your and I, you know, for lack of a better word, your easy questions. Your middle section is your medium questions, and then your, your last section are, your, are, are what are considered to be your difficult questions. And there's no, you know, I can't say it, question number eight, it's going to change, and at question number 13, it's going to change. But interspersed in there, that you've got basically that trend. The first section, the easy section, is considered easy because it tends to be straight math content. It's things that you just do the math on. Um, and those are questions that the vast majority of students should get right. Um, it's just, you know, if they're word problems, you have to get through the words, but it's figuring out what you have to do, doing the math, and boom, getting the answer. Um, the second section, the, what, what will be considered the medium section, is the math, it's, it's basic math, it's basic content with a twist. Um, you'll solve an equation for X, and instead of asking for X, they'll ask for X plus 1. And it's things that you can make very, very simple mistakes on because you're not reading the question. Um, and you have to be very careful as you go through that section because that's where it starts to weed people out. That's where the separation starts. So if you're, re- if you're very careful in that second section, understanding what it is, then you get to the third section, which is which is where the rubber hits the road. That's where the high points come. There are there are three ways that the SAT makes math questions more difficult, um, and and I, I would say three ways only. The first way is to use geometry, because geometry is always multi-step. Um, it al- it's always multi-concept. So your medium and difficult questions tend to, that's where your geometry starts because people can make a mistake. And the second step, end up with a bad answer. Since it's multiple choice, your bad answer will be there. That's the first way that's easily recognizable. Mm -hmm. The second way is they make the problem much more wordy. Instead of asking a straightforward question, they will just hide the question and a lot of stuff around it. And so you've got to figure out who Jane, and Jane is five years older than Joe, who's three years younger than Tom, who's seven years older than than Jack. If Jack is 14, what is twice Joe's age? And so it takes you a while to figure out exactly what they're asking. That's the second way they make it more difficult. The third way they make it more difficult, and that goes to the questions that you sent me, um, the, the questions of the day that you sent me, is they make it very abstract. Instead of saying, Jane is seven years older than Joe, who's five years older than Jack, etc., they'll say, Jane is P years older than Joe, who is N years older than Tom, who is K years older than Jack. And if Jack is 
F plus two years old, what which of these represents John's age in terms of K? And it's like what you know, and and you look at it and you're going, oh my God, I don't even understand what they're asking, let alone all of these, all of this, quote unquote, algebra mm-hmm. they've made it out to be. Um, each of those methods has a different approach to tackle the problem and, and, and make it so that you can you can get to the answer. The geometry, unfortunately, you do have to know geometry. That is subject-based. You know, you, you have to know the, the basic seven tenets of geometry in order to do it. it. That's just it. Or, because the SAT does penalize you for wrong answers, if you see a question and you're clueless on it, you have to be comfortable enough to skip the question, um, which is another topic altogether. The yeah. wordy questions, the Jack is and John is and Frank is, and this is 20% of 10% of this, of this, of this. Those questions, the best way to tackle those questions, the most efficient way to tackle those questions is to recognize that the SAT is a um, multiple-choice test. And because it's a multiple-choice test, one of the answers that's down there has to be right. And so instead of trying to solve the problem to figure out the answer, you can take the answer and see which one fits in the problem. So, you know, instead of trying to pick the lock, you just keep trying the key. And one of the keys is going to turn the door. That's the way great to go way through those, and, and it's all. Say that again. I said that's a great way to think about it. Yeah, one it, of the keys has yeah. to work. Um, it uh-huh. is, and and the the questions that are not multiple choice, which you do have a section that's not, those don't count against you if you get them wrong. So it's the multiple choice questions that I tend to focus on mostly. Um, so the wordy questions, you just back into it. And you start at the end and move back to the beginning, and only one of the answers will work. The abstract questions, um, your goal is to take the abstract questions and make them concrete. It's much easier to do mathematics with numbers than it is to do mathematics with letters. Okay, One of the questions you sent me, um, and, uh, and let there me are just say that, um, just a minute, let me just say that to our listeners, right before the show, I had um, sent you one of the official SAT questions of the day. It was a problem from February 15th and then another one from February 12th just to say, hey, what do you think about these? Maybe we can talk about them on the show. So go ahead now. I just wanted my listeners to know what we were referring to when we say the questions that you received. Right. And both of these questions, if you look at them, they fall into the third category. They're they're abstract. Um, There are N students in a biology class, and only six of them are seniors. If seven juniors are added to the class, how many students in the class will not be seniors? So it's it's got the wordiness, but and your answer choices are N minus three, N minus two, N minus one, N plus one, or N plus two. So you can solve this algebraically. I'm an algebra geek, so I teach algebra. So I would love to see people set up. If this were an algebra class, set up an equation, define your variables, and that's what we learned to do in school. But taking the SAT is different. Um, If I look at that question, there are N students in a biology class, I'm going to say, well, let's say there are 10 students in that class. 
And if, if there are 10 students in a biology class and only six of them are seniors, that means four of them are not. So now I'm looking at numbers that are concrete as opposed to N's and M's. So it says 10 students in a biology class, let's make N equal to 10. Six of them are seniors, so that means four of them are not. Seven juniors are added. Now I have 17 students in the class, and 11 of them are um, not seniors because it was a four plus the seven. Which of hmm. the following will not be seniors? Well, if N is 10, I've got to come up with 11 because that's the answer that, that I came up with. Well, 10 minus 3 is 7. 10 minus 2 is 8. 10 minus 1 is 9. 10 plus 1 is 11. The only one that gives me that answer is D, and I have now solved that question very quickly as opposed to setting up the algebra in it. So you take Wow, the, that was the, very quickly. I was thinking, man, I wish I had known how to do it that simply. <laughs> okay. And, and honestly, I wish I had at the time too. But uh, yeah. when I was in high school, again, I was, I, I've always been a math nerd. So I, I think when I took the SAT in high school, I actually – did I, I set up all the algebra and did all of that because I enjoyed it. But I'm the anomaly, and I recognize that. You know, So <laughs> the objective for students taking the test is to not only suffer through, you know, get through it quickly or, or be able to be able to get, get the questions right, but they've got to – it goes back to the first thing I said. The SAT is a right. marathon and not a sprint. And it's it's I play golf, and mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that that kills you on the golf course is not being able to concentrate towards the end of the towards the end of your round. You start out, and if I have if there is anybody listening who plays golf, you'll understand this. Others of you will say I don't get what he's talking about. But you stand on the first tee, and you're focused, and everything is great, and you can see everything, and you can tell your body what to do, and you swing the club. You may not hit it the way you want it, but you know what you want to do. By the time you get to the 12th and the 13th hole, your brain is fried, and you're trying to focus on doing this, but your thoughts are scattered, and you, your body doesn't react as well because your mind is not as focused. What's the same thing with the SAT? You start out very focused, and you want to be able to keep that focus all the way through. And the more that you take away from having to think, by making questions a little easier, taking the abstractness out, back-solving it, taking the answers and figuring out which one is right so that I don't have to set up the algebra and, and delve through all the words, I'm saving a little bit of my brain power so that when I get to Section 9, I'm not completely wiped out. You know, I've lost something because I've been testing for three hours, but right. I'm not complete. I have I have a little bit left. So it's using... It's using everything you can to keep that focus so that you can, so so that, you know, when you get to section, I think section nine is usually a a 16-question math section. When you get to that math section, you actually can still do some math. So that's that's the focus that I try to keep on. That's the familiarity, understanding that, yes, it is is a a marathon, so I've got to keep my mind straight. But then learning how to approach the questions to help you keep your mind straight. So practicing in the right direction. So I guess that goes back to what I said in the beginning. How about that for a full circle? That is a full circle. And I want to thank you so much. Our show is right at the end, so you timed it very well. 
So I want to thank Stephen Randall for joining us on the Education Doctor Radio. Uh, please like my page on Facebook at the Education Doctor to get show updates and relevant education news. I'm also going to post this question on there so in case when students are listening to the archive, they want to get a sense for what were the answers again and not have to go back through it. It will be there. That's on the Education Doctor fan page. So the Education Doctor program is brought to you by Compass Education Strategies. You may visit our website at compasseducationstrategies.com. I want to thank Stephen Randall so much for joining us today. And until we meet again, Access, Thrive, Graduate.